previously on Murder in Alliance. I'm curious. Why does she know so many cops? You never asked about that or wondered about it? She was possibly seeing a police officer who lives in Seabrook. He was a hot mess. Um, anger and rage. Very few people scare me. He scared me. And supposedly, she told Linda McLaughlin's mother that the youngest child may be this policeman's son. You know, in terms of the police force, my God, I had eight or nine names of officers who were potential sexual partners. This drug guy was putting her up to it, so if he gets caught, he can blackmail the cops. Given what we know about Yvonne is, I'm pretty sure people didn't want a lot of that stuff flying out. This is Murder and Alliance, an active investigation into who killed Yvonne Lane. I'm Maggie Freeling. After the jury came back in 2000 with a guilty verdict against David Thorne, his grandfather tried to sound calm. Quote, the truth will come out sooner or later, he told his grandson as guards led him away to prison. But David Casisco's claim was a facade. Outside the courtroom, Casisco started to shake with anger. His face went red when he saw Detective Lloyd Bud Sampson, one of the cops whose testimony had condemned David for life. Casisco told an Akron Beacon Journal reporter, quote, There's the one who made a fool out of himself on the stand, and they believed him. I can't ask Casisco his thoughts because he died in 2015. But to me, it seems like he wanted to have David's back. But he knew deep down that it was going to take a lot more than just the truth to free him. And 22 years later, I think he's right. If David is ever going to be released from prison, it won't be because his supporters proved he didn't kill his ex-girlfriend, Yvonne Lane. It'll be because we figure out who actually did. When I met up in Ohio with John and Danny Waxler of Proclaim Justice earlier this year, one of the first things we set out to do was to try to rule in or out people of interest. We didn't start with Joe right away, although he is the number one person, because his story has changed so many times. It's hard to know what to believe. We decided to gather as much information about the case and Joe's claims as possible before we try to talk to him. Plus, the warden at Joe's prison denied our visitation request. So speaking with Joe was going to be a lot harder than we expected. That's why we started with Rose Moore and Chris Campbell, allegedly the only people who Joe told he was going to murder someone that night. But as you heard last episode, we didn't get very far. So we moved on to the others on the list, starting with Jim, the neighbor who was allegedly spying on Yvonne. He said Yvonne would come over after dark and sit on the porch swing with him. He, he and his clothing matched George Hill's description. Yeah, Jim, Jim, it's a fact that he was there at 5.30. He says, yeah, I was there talking to her about the dogs. The police wrote that in their notes. So we know he was the last person to see her. Jim was the last known person to see Yvonne alive just before her murder around 5.30 p.m. The coroner's window for a time of death was sometime after 7 p.m. 
March 31st. Remember, he said he went over to see the puppies that Yvonne was selling, although it's unclear if he ever did go inside the house to see them or not. After that, Jim never had a particularly solid alibi. He said he went on a bike ride after leaving Yvonne's house. Then he said he was at work by 10 p.m. Was he actually on a bike ride at the time of her murder? That would have been hard to confirm back in 1999, and it's pretty much impossible now, which leaves quite a gap of time, 5.30 p.m. to 10 p.m. unaccounted for. And there's also Vinny, Yvonne's four-year-old, saying Josh, Jeremy, or Jimmy pushed mommy. And the kids knew Jim since he was their neighbor, and they were always running in and out of his yard. Jim was never looked into as a possible suspect by detectives William Mucklow or Lloyd Sampson. Yet it does seem they found him interesting enough that they wanted to eliminate him at some point because on May 4th that year, a month after the murder, Jim was fingerprinted and his print was compared to the one found on the knife blade from the knife that matched Yvonne's kitchen set, the one that was found down the street. Not the lock blade that Joe later said was the murder weapon. The print didn't match Jim. However, it begs the question, did anyone think Jim might have been involved if the police went as far as to fingerprint him? It's not like they were fingerprinting everyone. I've seen the list. Some people closest to Yvonne were never printed, like Fred and Linda. But Jim, the supposedly creepy neighbor who was allegedly spying on her and the last known person to see Yvonne alive, was. So after everything we'd learned about Jim, we figured it was time to talk to him. What's this? this? Yep. It's a red brick around behind her. Yeah. Fortunately, Jim was easy to find. He's still living in the same house the one that touches Yvonne's yard of 916 Divine. When we first went over to Jim's house, his wife answered. Sorry to bother you. I'm, oh, no, Danny, the- I'm Danny Waxler. This is John Hart. Hi. <laughs> we uh, work with a, an innocence project out of Austin, Texas. They asked her to speak with her husband, Jim. We were hoping we could speak to him and kind of... Um, he, right now it oh, that's okay. He was yeah. Here. Nine, yeah. Um, I could leave him in the car and tell him you were here. Yeah, yeah. If you, oh, we could do the morning, too. That yeah, would be fine. I'll, I'll let Whatever's him know. good for him. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell her you were here. Yeah, thank you. Well, that's okay. okay. Yeah. So we tried him in the morning. <sighs> Guess we can't make him answer the door. As John and Danny walk away. Yes, sir. I, d- I don't know if your if your wife told you who we are, but we were just hoping for just a few minutes. They tell him who they are and that they're reinvestigating the Yvonne Lane murder. There was a lady that came here years ago, and I talked to her, and I feel that that should suffice. I mean, that was like. 20 years ago, that probably some, I don't know, it's, I don't know if it's 20 years, but yeah. it's been. He's talking about Sue coming to see him almost two decades ago. So I really don't want to talk about it any further than that. Okay. I mean, she was, to me, I thought she was a nice person, and I don't, you know, she was a nice neighbor. We, you know, the people seem to get along with her here. 
And so beyond that point, I don't want to talk about it. It's like it was I was upset about it at the time. Yeah, sure. And, you know, she was she was nice to me. And that's all I know. One of the toughest things is that I think that lady that came to visit you when they give us information just because they said this, this or this or this, we have to kind of go validate it like I felt bad enough. No, I get that. And, And look, thanks for just sharing this with us. We if we didn't at least speak to you, we would have failed in doing what we're trying to do, which is try and say, hey, who was there? Who could possibly know something? If David's where he belongs, David's where he belongs. But we're going to give him a shot and see if there's credible information that maybe they got it wrong. The police talked to me. They talk, I, th- I think they talked to everybody. They didn't, though, because the neighbors we've spoken to don't remember that still are here. They didn't speak to them. Um, and that's that was concerning to us is that why would they have only spoken to a select few? Jim says again that he doesn't want to talk, but Danny and John keep going. I guess she had puppies or something at the time. Yes, or? she had puppies at the time. And that were you helping with the kids at all? Because no. I, I read something about well, Preston was in your tree or something. Preston climbed my antenna, and <laughs> and I told her he climbed my antenna, and because um, I was real worried about him climbing my antenna. And despite not wanting to talk, Jim keeps going. The only thing I can tell you was that day, and, and this is the most bizarre thing, is it, it was so doggone quiet. I mean, it was like there was no cars going down the street. I didn't see anybody walking the streets. And that's what strikes me strange, is why you would think that it was a nice and beautiful spring day. No cars, nothing, nothing. I didn't see anything. I, I'm kind of like the non-observant of the non-observant. I mean, I close my curtains at night. I, you know, I work midnight shift at that time. So I really don't, you know, don't know much of anything that went on over there. Like I said, I felt bad about it. I really don't want to talk about it beyond this point because I, because I work third shift and that's all I pretty much, I'm like, I'm so doggone tired. You know, they, you know, I really don't know what's going on because I, like I said, I went to work. And then next day I find out something that I don't even know what's going on. Yeah. Is there an officer that lived near here in one of these houses well, close by? I don't by? really want to get into all that. I mean, like I said, this is the end of this conversation. I mean, I feel like I've shared enough with you. Yeah. I just want to, I don't want to think about it any further. I don't want to relive this. I, I want to just put it behind me. She's a nice person and I just want to put it behind me. I want to forget it. Yeah, and we won't bother you anymore after this. But one thing that did come up in the reports was that Somebody had said that either you or an, another neighbor had viewed her with binoculars looking into her house. Why would I? I mean, like I said, I was like the non-observant of the non-observant. Yeah. I wouldn't view her with binoculars. I never even heard that before. Which, if we believe Sue, that's not true. She told us she asked him about it all those years ago, and at the time, he blamed his neighbor, another Alliance cop. I know you've got family in law enforcement, right? Yes. Mr. Jenkins is a captain there, and I know that sometimes. Well, hey, I gotta go. You guys have a great day. You too. Okay, All thank right, you, Jim. And that was it. I'm surprised he opened the door if, the, if all he was gonna say yeah, is I'm not I talking know. We, to you. We were walking away. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> but the, he probably thought they're gonna keep coming back. Yeah, I'm sure. Nervous little fucker. Yeah. He was a nervous fucker. But I'm not, I'm not gonna talk about you. Get him to the porch. You got, got a little bit out of him. Yeah. Jim didn't give us anything particularly useful from that brief interaction, but just seeing him and the kind of person he was helped us form an opinion. He didn't jump out to us as an obvious suspect. 
sure, maybe he's jittery and allegedly a peeper. But the reason I keep bringing up how brutal the crime scene was is because whoever did this had an incredible amount of rage and anger towards Yvonne. Someone who is likely known to have a violent history and Jim doesn't have any criminal history at all. But if he had nothing to hide, why not talk to John and Danny, who are trying to find out the truth? Why would you not want to offer anything that you have, right? Why would you not? My feeling is that they called Jenkins. Remember, Jenkins is his brother-in-law, a captain at the Alliance Police Department. And, and, and he was encouraged, just don't even talk to him. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, too, that after we were there yesterday. Because so every time we'd go reference police, he would... Anything to do with peace, police, TJ, family, I, that, that would shut it down. Yeah. You know, and I feel like that's his. And I think that that's probably what Jenkins told him, is you can only get yourself jammed up in some way if you talk to him. Which is honestly good advice. So we moved Jim to the bottom of the list for now and went on to our next best person of interest. Hi, how are you? We're looking for Jeremy. Does he live here? He does not. Okay. He did. Okay. Are you? Do you know him? Very roughly. Okay. Do you have any idea where he moved to? No. Okay. Like Chris Campbell, Jeremy seemed like he was going to be hard to find. She looked kind of young. Was she? She did look young. She's young with mess teeth. Now, if you remember, Jeremy was the boyfriend of Linda McLaughlin, and Linda was the mother of Eric Cameron, who was the father of allegedly at least three of Yvonne's children. Those kids include Vinny, the one who has special needs and lived with Linda rather than Yvonne. There was tension between the two women because while Linda took care of Vinny, Yvonne was allegedly keeping the social security checks she was getting that were meant to pay for Vinny's care. Now, I know this is a complicated cast, but the gist is, that Jeremy knew Vinny very well and took care of him and was something like a grandfather to Vinny during this time. Hi. Hi, how are you? Good morning. Good. Looking for a, a Jeremy Petty. Yeah, that's Uncle Jeremy. Is he here? Mm-hmm. He don't live here. He's in this neighborhood somewhere. Mm-hmm. Your brother? Which one? Jeremy? The woman we found at this address is Jeremy's sister, who said she had not seen him in three years. Rather do meth than live a decent life. I tried to help. He lived here, and I knew there was something wrong. I said, Jeremy, what is wrong? Are you on drugs? He said, I'm not doing it here. I said, I'm not going to be the one find you dead. You got to move. Yeah, and that was the last time you saw him. Wow. Came by one time, threatened to slit my throat. Did you ever know of him being violent? No. Okay. Was that a weird statement to make? Because that's exactly how the young girl was killed. Her think, throat was slit. Ooh, I think oh, that's he, uh, he that was just the drugs talking. Sounds like he's probably burned a few bridges over yeah. the years. Okay. Does he have a car? I knew he was in uh, Firestone Park. We just left there. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. 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 Like that's all that's Akron's turning into these days. Right. Well, thank you for your time. And again, no if he surfaces, uh, we just surfaces. Yeah. 
to put an alert out to. If you see Jeremy having called these guys, we'd greatly appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. I appreciate y'all's time. All right. We had hit every address we had for Jeremy, and he wasn't at any. But there were two phone numbers for him. One wasn't him, and the other looked like it was wrong, like it was fake. But we tried it anyway. Uh, yes, I'm trying to reach Jeremy Petty. Is this Jeremy? Yes, it is. Do you, you have any free time to talk with us? Uh, yeah, I'm kind of, kind of sick. I've been laid up the past week, but yeah, you can come on over. Okay, what's your address? We found him. The fake number's the one. <laughs> the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. <laughs> Holy shit. We found him. By God. We found Jeremy living in Akron, Ohio, in a dilapidated house on a dirt road behind a U-Haul facility. Hey, Jeremy. Yes, sir. How are you? Danny had a plastic bag in his hand, and Jeremy asked what was in it. I was sick as a kid. I always got chicken noodle soup and saltines. Yeah, Snickers right. and Gatorade. <laughs> Hopefully it'll make you feel a little better. One, okay. So I'm John. Okay. And that's Danny. I'm Danny Waxler. We're with uh, Proclaim Justice. We're an innocence project, and we've been asked to look into David's case. David's still in prison? He is, yeah. He's in for life. John and Danny explained, as usual, that they're looking into David's case to find out if he's actually innocent or not. We came up from Austin yesterday and uh, just, you know, talking to folks who knew everybody at the time. If you can't make him out, Jeremy said Yvonne was his best friend. Now, remember, we knew they were close. Yvonne would go to Linda's often to see Vinny, who was living with Linda and Jeremy. Jeremy is also interesting, because if you remember, Preston, Yvonne's son, said whoever killed his mom knew Vinny, because Vinny was taken care of. He'd been dressed as though someone had started getting him ready for the day. And according to all accounts, Vinny, the four-year-old with special needs, could not dress himself, and he normally slept in his diaper, which Preston said he was in when he went to bed. And to us, Jeremy seemed like a really good person of interest. Remember, Linda told Sue that Jeremy was really upset Yvonne had just taken Vinny back days before her murder. And rage could be there. I should note, though, Jeremy is not well. He's dying of cancer, and honestly, we're lucky we caught him when we did, because based on his age, he's 64, and his advanced condition, this could be the last time anyone speaks to him about Yvonne or the case. So what, tell me about Yvonne. I mean, we, so that's... We just came close because uh, because of a kid. Remember, Jeremy and Eric's mom, Linda, were taking care of Vinny. Me and kids, we just get along great. I had 13 of them. <coughs> you have 13 of them? <coughs> not by the same person. How, how did you know her? I mean, how did you meet her? You said earlier she was your best friend. Yeah, I met her from my nurse, Linda, and Eric. And... Uh, she started coming home, and when she had one, one kid, she, of course, then he took right to me. Now, two things. If you were able to make that out, he called Linda his nurse. 
And during this conversation, we actually found out that Jeremy wasn't exactly her boyfriend per se. Linda was his caretaker, his nurse. And her husband was actually Jeremy's best friend. But alas, Linda and Jeremy had a relationship, and Jeremy was there almost every day, despite the marriage and friendship. So anyway, he also said when Yvonne brought Vinny over the first time, Vinny took right to him. So was that friendship based just on Vinny, or were you and her, did y'all have your time together too? Uh, well, we had the, uh, we were talking to me about what was going on with uh, Eric. And side note, Jeremy made very clear that he and Yvonne had a platonic relationship and never anything sexual. Contrary to beliefs, a man can't have a female acquaintance as a friend. I'm being sexually involved. Right. In fact, he said he had only been to her house two times, both times with Linda. Jeremy and Yvonne would only hang out at Linda's house, usually at the kitchen table, talking, and doing drugs. Tell you how crazy we was. We we pull out a bottle of Xanax on the bars and we'd sit down at the kitchen table at the house uh, on the dining room and uh, we'd chug a beer, take a Xanax. Chug a beer, take a Xanax. See which one passed out for us. Who, you know, the vet was who passed out for us. Is she just popping pills or yeah, smoking weed? Everybody smoking weed. Yeah. yeah. So where would you guys get the drugs from? I mean, did she have somebody that she would get drugs from? That If you couldn't make that out, Jeremy said he got his drugs legally from the VA. Jeremy was a veteran, like the psychic mentioned. Do you know who it was that she was getting drugs from? Oh, no, I have no idea. John and Danny were trying to see if there was a connection to the cops and the drug scene. Then... They asked Jeremy if the police ever questioned him. Uh, the investigators came to, to McDonald's where I was working at. So even though there's no record of it, according to Jeremy, they did look into him. In fact, his prints were also collected on April 20th, the year of the murder, and tested against the same kitchen knife Jim's were. It wasn't a match. And if the police were doing their job, they would have also checked his alibi. Remember, they told the psychic Jeremy didn't have an alibi. But Jeremy said he was working at McDonald's in Hartville that night. Hartville is about 20 minutes from Alliance. So if he did kill Yvonne, Jeremy would have had to leave work during his shift, drive 20 minutes to her house, kill her, dress Vinny, and drive back. He would have probably been gone from work for at least over an hour, and someone would have noticed. According to Jeremy... They checked his time cards when they showed up at McDonald's that day. And I would guess if he really didn't have an alibi, they would have looked into him more. And one more thing. Jeremy didn't drive. Linda actually said she picked him up that night. In fact, it seems like Jeremy still doesn't drive. His sister told us she'd see him walking around town everywhere. So there are some questions we do have 22 years later about his alibi. We can't confirm it, and we don't know the exact hours, and considering there's no exact time of death for Yvonne, it is plausible Jeremy could have left work at midnight, killed her after, sure. The time of death was only given as sometime after 7 p.m. So John and Danny asked Jeremy 
straight up. You weren't there that night. Your DNA would not be on her clothes at all. Had no involvement whatsoever. Okay. Yeah. And from talking to him, he seemed to really care about Yvonne. A lot. And obviously this is a little personal, but I'm just curious of the emotional effect that Yvonne's death had on you. Oh, it, it got me. Mm. It, it, it hurt me. It hurt me. But here is you know, somebody that I could talk to who would talk to me and be, uh, at, at that point, I'd be open about what's going on. Not no personal, no real involvement or anything like that, but uh, uh, Did she ever confide in you that she felt like she might have upset somebody that could have could hurt her? No. She was never afraid. She was never afraid of anybody or anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, she told me that from that time and time again. One thing I do know about Yvonne was she went back down to Mm -hmm. Mm Mayberry. She's standing around. Standing around, I believe, what got her. Jeremy talked about how she was a confident, composed person, but he noticed in her last days she changed. She had uh, emotional displays towards the end. Jeremy said four days before the murder, she came to Linda's house and was in a rush. He said that was unusual. You could just tell something was wrong that day. Yeah, but uh, never uh, jittery. Never. He said she was frantic, dropping the kids off. She told him she was going to an appointment. Jeremy figured he talked to her about it later. But that never happened. So that would have been the, your last encounter with her alive. Wow. That's why I think <clears throat> I thought I still think that maybe there was something I could have done. <clears throat> then you could have done. I think I, I, have, uh, I, think I could have uh, somehow something. Uh, Did you go to her funeral? <clears throat> Did you ever see any of the kids again? I'm sorry to, to lead you back into these memories. I know they're painful, I can tell, but we're trying to figure out what happened, and I know that someone as close as you, you had to have had a million thoughts run through your head wondering who could have done this to her. A million one, Linda has publicly said before she passed away, David didn't do this. Yeah. David didn't do this. I don't believe he did either. I really don't. I mean, 20 years later, what do you think happened? Uh, I think the Alliance Police Department had something to do. I do, I honestly believe that they, they for some reason, that I don't know why, but uh, the police were involved. Jeremy, we appreciate your time very yes, much. Sir. and. I hope I, I hope I helped you. Yeah, you, you for sure did, and yeah. you've got our, our information. and. Have you some chicken soup and Yeah. <laughs> we left Jeremy all feeling convinced he didn't do it, which surprised us. He seemed like a really strong possibility. For starters, Jeremy had a record that included assault. His own sister said he threatened to slit her throat the precise way Yvonne was killed. And he admitted to us he was incredibly fucked up back then. So he could have snapped, sure. But mostly, what we've heard about Jeremy is that when he's sober, he's a softy and wouldn't fight anyone. 
Even the sister he threatened said the threats he made to her were just the drugs. So she never knew him to actually be violent. It seemed that if he'd done it in a drugged up rage, he'd have trouble dealing with it emotionally when sober. And frankly, we think he would have talked. And what we can tell from speaking to him, he really cared for Yvonne and had no motive to kill her. Sure, we speculated before, maybe custody of Vinny, but after talking to him, he knew he and Linda wouldn't get custody of Vinny anyway. The children went to Yvonne's parents, Tanya and Sherman, after she died. It seemed to us he cared for Yvonne outside of Vinny and wouldn't want her dead. But he did confirm for us a possible connection like we had heard from so many people before, that the police could have been involved. And that leads us to a tip that we got as soon as we landed in Ohio. So has there been anything, what's like the most recent thing that you've come across or heard or anything like that? I got a tip yesterday. Okay, what about that? Okay. Sue takes us out to the lobby. Alliance is a small town, as I've mentioned before, so you can never be too careful where you're talking. And she tells us what happened. This is Facebook Messenger? Mm-hmm. Okay. I saw this name come up, and I thought, oh, I recognize that last name, but I don't know who this is. He texted me, or he messaged me in the afternoon, and I saw it about 7 o'clock, and he talked to me till like, almost 10 o'clock. She got a random message on Facebook literally the day we arrived in Alliance. It says, hello, Sue, my name is Anyhow, I just watched the story about Yvonne that you was in. I know you have no idea who I am, but I have some interesting things that we learned about Yvonne's murder through the years. Please, please, please do not say a word about this until I have the opportunity to tell you what I know. I've met the killer and I know where he is, and I suspect he's still killing, and yes, he's a cop. Sue offered to have John and Danny speak to the man. As I mentioned, Sue or I doing interviews at this point is just too risky. We need the licensed professionals to do it for the courts to be okay with the information. Would you be willing to tell them what you know also? Let me know what works for you. That way, if he doesn't want to talk to you guys, I have an opening to get back in there. And he said, sorry, I can't do that. Way too much involved and at risk. After that, he pretty much shut down. But don't, he said, don't tell anybody. So I'm afraid if you guys show up, he's not, he's going to shut down and not well, tell Well, he wants, he wants to share. Right. Or he yeah. reached out to you. Right. This, he's holding, if it's valid, he's holding this in. So we decided to track him down and find out what he knows. Fortunately, he told Sue where he works. I already hit the record. Okay. Yeah. We found him at a big warehouse in Alliance and sent Sue in alone first to ease his mind. He also specifically told her he didn't want to talk to John and Danny. Hi. Are you No, I'm Is here? Yeah, he's here. Can I have him? I won't keep him long. I am? Well, you're not what I pictured at all. What did you picture? We'll call this guy Kevin, and I'm changing his voice for privacy. Kevin said he's a lifelong Alliance resident and went to high school with Yvonne. Then 
as Kevin invites Sue to talk in private. Oh, can they come? Hi there. Oh, well, you listen well, don't you? John and Danny walk in. I don't. I, I clearly see that. Come on in. I, I guess I don't have a freaking human. We're nice. It's not that you're not nice. You guys have got to understand what's at risk for me here. I know. With you know, confidence. If these people find out I'm talking shit, I'm done. Yeah. Bottom line. We're not going to find out you're talking shit. I would hope not. I promise you. He told us a long story about a former cop in Alliance he thought was murdering his children. And even longer story short, we tracked it down. And yes, this former cop had a few of his kids die very young. But nothing seemed particularly odd to us. But one thing is clear. People in this town do not trust the cops. What made you tie this into Yvonne? You know, I, I, I got stories of my own with the APD. Right. They've been known to be shady. Right. Did you hear, like being around Alliance as, as long as you have, did you hear rumor of Yvonne um, being in the sex work industry? Yes. Okay. And police availing themselves of her services? No. Okay. You never heard that cops would go pay her for sex? Not her specifically. Most Alliance residents will tell you right out of the gate. If you went back to them right now, they'll tell you. Alliance cops are pigs. Yeah. If they, if they come to your house for domestic, they're going to arrest you and hit on her. That's the way they are, the pigs. They genuinely are. Right. I'm not saying every one of them. Sure, sure. But there's a lot of them in Alliance. And that's why I'm acting the way I'm at with you guys. If them sons of bitches find out I'm talking to you about anything like that, if at best case, I'll lose my job. The city is so flipping crooked. What'd you think the old chief? Pardon? Dordia? You kidding me? Is that legitimately a question? Remember, Dordia was the new chief of police at the time of Yvonne's murder after Chief Black was fired for stealing drugs, guns, and money. <laughs> I know what I think of him. I was curious what... Well, I was sure hope that it's not high honors that you're holding on that man. It's always questionable whenever a chief of police brings a date to a crime scene. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, that's a murder scene at that. Yeah. Clearly, it's not just in our heads. There's something up with the Alliance cops. But did they actually have anything to do with Yvonne's murder? We still couldn't shake the psychic tapes. And detectives William Mucklow and Bud Sampson bringing up the possibility that it was one of their own. So it was finally time to speak with some people who may actually know what was going on in Yvonne's life. Coming up next time on Murder in Alliance. She had come to you saying she had pissed off the wrong person. She had so many secrets. It's like three phases that I know of her life. She was dating a cop. They said they thought she was pregnant, and she probably tried to blackmail the daddy. I knew that she would tell people that she was pregnant and then ask for money for an abortion. That's how she would send money to Eric when he was in the joint. I think she was pregnant. She had a belly on her when I seen her. And she would shake them down and say, I'm going to tell your wife or something. She has some dark sides to it. What about this sex tape that Sue said you filmed? I don't know how she kept everything straight. Y'all, if you like this show, please consider joining the Unjust and Unsolved Patreon. It shows how much you care and helps us continue to tell these stories. Plus, you get some awesome bonus episodes, Q&As, and events as a thank you. And please, please rate and review 
the more reviews, the more attention, and the more likely we're going to get tips and leads and the right ears will be reached. Murder in Alliance is produced and reported by me, Maggie Freeling, with editorial consulting from Amber Hunt. Aaron Case is our legal intern, and Bob Mallory is our engineering assistant. For more information and resources, go to murderinalliance.com. You can find Murder and Alliance on Twitter and Instagram at murder underscore alliance and join the discussion on Facebook at Unjust and Unsolved Podcast Discussion Group. Murder and Alliance is a production of the Obsessed Network. You can find all their shows at obsessednetwork.com. 